there was one time when I was listening to it and I was getting ready to go to bed and it got a little creepy. And I said, you know what? I'm going to just pick this up tomorrow. Because I, <laughs> I don't need my walls to be doing anything weird while I'm sleeping. <laughs> hey, readers, I'm Ann Vogel, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 255. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Today, I'm talking with Valencia Taylor, a self-proclaimed book pusher from Greensboro, North Carolina. I met Valencia in her state last year and was immediately charmed by her book talk and sense of humor. In today's episode, Valencia shares personal stories of determination and resilience, like rebelling from a helicopter, and recent reads that fall on the line between just spooky enough and way too scary. Valencia is looking for compelling stories that teach her something new about the world, as well as more spine-tingling reads, a category that is definitely new to her. As a fellow book pusher, I have plenty of recommendations and practical tips to share. In fact, I couldn't help but share a few extra titles that I think Valencia will love. Let's get to it. Valencia, welcome to the show. Thank you, Anne. Well, last time we got to talk books, it was in person. It's a delight to do it virtually today. This conversation was prompted by you talking about some of your favorite books on the internet, and I'm so glad you did. Oh, yes. It's been a wonderful reading experience and time. We met in Winston-Salem. Mm-hmm. We talked books. And, but, you know, readers are multidimensional beings. And I have to say, in advance of talking today, we always ask our guests to tell us a little bit about yourself. Your CV went places I was not expecting, <laughs> including my home state of Kentucky. That's right. I served three years in the military and Fort Campbell, Kentucky was my assigned duty station that I spent most of three years for while I was in service. So it was a little town called Hopkinsville. And then like, a few minutes away was Clarksville, Tennessee. My military occupation or MOS was multi-channel communications equipment operator. And so what we would do, let's say we'd send a truck to Nashville and then maybe one from Memphis. And um, we would be triangulating conversation and the communication between those two trucks and the commander. And also uh, Fort Campbell is uh, air assault. So I did sign up for air assault training, 10 day course, now, I am 4'11 and a half. That barely got me to the military. When I had to do my first qualification, the first day of air assault training, the last two bars uh, of the ladder were my height apart. So there was no jumping up. Oh there was no just grabbing it. I had to shimmy up the side of the pole, the side of the ladder and then get to that top part. And then when that we had to practice repelling, your body makes you stop. And then... The drill sergeant started yelling at me, said, you can do it, come down here. And I repelled and I, I, I know I screamed the entire way down, but I this did This is repelling it. like from helicopters? Yes, yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> we first start off the side of a tall wall and then, we, yes, we did have a night mission where we had to stand up and repel out of a helicopter. And the last day was a 12-mile ruck march. Then it was the early 90s and I was all out to prove that it doesn't matter how short I am or if I'm a female... I could do the same thing that you all can do. I did my 12 miles. I didn't have to repeat the 10-day training. And I also had a dog at the time. It was the, the company dog. His name was Booney. And my uh, office people and Booney met me at the end of the march. So it was great. I learned a lot. I loved it. 
<laughs> and these days on the job, you engage in what you call creative destruction. I love that description. <laughs> yes, I am a software tester. I've been doing that a long time. But I just love when you come out with a new application or whatever, just trying to figure out how it can be broken and how we can get the best quality out of the application once we release it to the public for use. What kind of skills or proclivities or mindset does it take to do well in that profession? Well, to me, relationships first, especially between the testers and the developers. We're not here to prove that the developer did something wrong. We're here to get the best quality product. It's a lot of uh, analyzing, working logically through an application and what can and cannot be done with that particular application. And then being able to communicate what we're seeing and what's wrong, because you, you have to be able to talk to a business person, you know, that, who said that I just want a pencil. They didn't say if it was mechanical or not. Then you have to talk to the developer who is at a development code level and you have to tell them, well, this store procedure did not call or this type of thing to help them figure out what the issue may be if there is one. So the best thing is when we shake out everything early and we can move on to production and we have a clean product. That's so interesting. I thought you were going to immediately say something like to be good at puzzles, to have a problem solving brain. And instead you started talking about relationships. Is it weird that that made me think of every <laughs> editing relationship I've ever had about a different kind of product? Well, yes. I mean, I, I do agree with you. It is solving a puzzle, being very intentional, um, very procedural, because you can't just start anywhere because you're not going to find just like people say you should clean from the top down. You mm -hmm. can't just start anywhere. It has to be a a logical procession of ideas. Thinking outside the box is, oh, what if I do that? Or what if somebody did this? That's the fun part. You hit some button and it goes wonkers. <laughs> <laughs> then you're like, yay, I found one. <laughs> well, I know you enjoy mystery novels. Yes. Are those yes. two things connected or am I, see am I wanting to see something that's not there? Well, there, it is a mystery when you learn the application. For You have the application in front of you for the first time. Just think about the first time you used Microsoft Word, okay? You're wanting to figure out, okay, how do I do this? How do I do that? You're trying to figure out what the ins and out of that particular piece of software or application. So, yes, it, it, it can be a mystery. What are we going to build to satisfy this customer need? So October is the time for spooky reads, but it's also Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And you mentioned that you had a recent experience that you thought would be worth sharing with our listeners. That's right, Anne. Back in August, I did find a lump while I was performing my monthly breast check. I was quickly seen by the doctor um, that confirmed it was a lump. And then at first I was thinking, okay, well, this is just something we're going to have to keep an eye on. I'm good with that. Then I got the call back that it was um, stage one cancer. Since August, I've been living this new reality and realizing more how more than ever it is important. Don't be afraid to notify the doctor if you see something that's not right. And I'm so glad this experience has brought me closer to my family. Uh, people have reached out. I don't feel like I'm alone. And I just think it's really important to catch these things early. And I did catch it early. So I have a very positive prognosis. I am looking forward to taking this journey one day at a time. Um, it's teaching me patience. 
I have to say, you've described yourself as a book pusher. I really appreciate the way that you're very clearly sharing the things that matter to you and that you value with people who yes. need to hear them. And we kind of laugh about the need when we talk about favorite mystery novels. Although, come on, yeah. we're readers. Like we think we think that there are people in our lives who need to know these things. Thank you for sharing this as well and for being open with that and with our listeners. I'm glad that you were able to get such quick care. I hope that made the process easier and less emotionally difficult because I can only imagine right. what that must feel like. And right. it's also been clear from your emails with our team how much your sense of humor has, has been evident. How about? <laughs> it has been really helping me because you all need to laugh. What I decided to do is I named the lump. I named him Louis. There were some also some calcifications removed as well. So we changed the name to the band name Louis and the Calcs. So <laughs> Louis and the Calcs were on their uh, final farewell tour and they have retired as of just a few days ago. Things like that have helped me deal with my situation and have helped me find the joy in this journey. I told the doctors and everybody, we came up with a band name and it was just, it's been the greatest icebreaker and puts people at ease. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I hadn't thought about that aspect of it. Yep, yep, yep. Because when you mention the word cancer, you know, your, your mind goes completely left. And so what I have learned is you just have to take one thing, one thing at a time and try to get through it with laughter. That's the best thing. Well, I'm so glad you are. Thanks for taking a moment to share that with our listeners. You're welcome. Valencia, there's so much I want to cover today. And I think we want to do it through the lens of what you enjoy reading and also what you don't. I'm really looking forward to hearing about that. Are you ready to jump in and talk about your books? I am. Okay. Well, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately. And we'll talk about what you may enjoy reading next and a whole lot of other stuff besides. How did you choose these today? Well, I went and just looked at the titles to see what stuck with me, the books that I keep pushing on people. <laughs> and also think like if I wanted to listen to this book again and every time, I know I have listened to at least them twice. And then I wanted to have a variety to sort of give you more of an idea of the types of books I read. Well, I'm excited to hear. What's book one? So book one is Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. I read this on audio and he reads the audio for that. This was my first foray into nonfiction. It had been suggested as a place to start with nonfiction. And his story is so compelling. He has taken a very difficult time in, in his life, apartheid, and have it apply and show you how it works through his lens and his life. And that I really appreciated learning. I also appreciated how resilient Trevor is. And he, because of his skin color, he didn't fit with the blacks in uh, South Africa. And he wasn't really, he, he was considered colored. He wasn't considered Caucasian or white. So he had to always, through humor, jokes, and knowing a lot of languages, that was his bridge to connect with people because he, he, he didn't fit in any group or situation. What made you pick this up? <clears throat> well, I like Trevor Noah. I think he's funny. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and then with him being from South Africa yeah. was interesting. And then the subject of apartheid, then that was something that I wanted to know more about. And I felt like he handled that without... I mean, it was a it was a rough time, but it, there wasn't a lot of focus on how horrible things were. But he was just explaining the ramifications 
of apartheid and how it affected his family and his community. And that gave me insight without being so, I guess, angry, upset over um, the injustice part of apartheid. So that's what made me pick that book up. And what did you think of the audio version? Loved it. Loved it. I highly, highly recommend audio because he does all of the pronunciations of names and he does different languages too. So it's like you're sitting down talking to him um, and he's telling you a story. So, and I'm sure people who have read it remember Fufi. So (laughs) it's a love dog. I resonated with him because we've all felt like we didn't fit somewhere or we've had a rough time or this, that, and the other. And uh, I recommended it to a friend at work uh, who was getting into reading. I said, you have to listen to this. Even he came back to me. He said, wow. He said, I'm not even from Africa, but I could identify with everything he said. And that's the way I've made so many friends with this book and everything like that too. (laughs) (laughs) So um, you mentioned that you were a book pusher. Yes. Okay. So this is one that you felt compelled to share. Mm -hmm. It was. You mentioned that this was your first foray into nonfiction and listeners. If you are looking to maybe take your first steps into the world of audiobooks, I think this could be a really good one as well. For Shannon Malone, who's a team member for Modern Mrs. Darcy and What Should I Read Next? And also Mm -hmm. a past podcast guest, she said, I don't do audiobooks. But then Mm -hmm. she got talked into trying Trevor Noah on audio and it served to be a wonderful gateway book. I just remember from reading this myself, how he could have you laughing and crying within like I don't know, three seconds of each other. Exactly, exactly. And the relationship between him and his mother, Patricia, I feel as though, well, just in my experience, when they talk about Trevor Noah's book, they don't mention the deep religious spirituality of his mother. She was the original rebel, but she had this unbreakable faith throughout, even when the worst things happened to her. She just had this unbreakable faith and it just made me want to operate in that level of faith as well. But I do agree. He would have you laugh in one minute, especially when he was talking about growing up and being a teenager. Um, oh my yes. gosh. And his first prom <laughs> and all this. I was like, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. My city of Greensboro chose Trevor Noah's Born a Crime as their one city, one book. We started a, a postcard campaign to try to get Trevor Noah to come and speak. But as you know, he is extremely busy. Let's see, I think that was the second or third time I had listened to it. And I hear something new every time. Valencia, what did you choose for your second book? So my second book was, um, it's part of a trilogy, so I did kind of cheat. We'll allow that. <laughs> the first book, it was um, The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden. This book, I first listened to this in the wintertime um, as part of my winter survival. Winter is my least favorite time of the year from a... A much admired blogger named Anne, I picked up some new, <laughs> I picked up some new things that I do just in the wintertime, including puzzles. Yes, you, you did that. Anne. Oh, so I'm the puzzle pusher. <laughs> you are the puzzle pusher. And then while I was doing that, I was listening to The Baron and Nightingale. And this book, it talks about medieval Russia, this young lady named Vasilisa Petrovna. And because you listened to the audio, you heard all of the pronunciations and how she felt trapped in her life. And she has this special gift and she's really a rebel. She doesn't outwardly look beautiful, but her confidence is what brings to the forefront. And then having the author describe the living conditions and the hearth, 
it really had me going to Google and looking up Russian house spirits and what did a hearth look like and how people lived during that time. I love that. And then on top of it, it was this wonderful story and it was full of her growing up and taking charge of who she is. And then it also had some political intrigue behind it. It then it had fantasy on top of that. So I'm walking around the house after I finish it going, Vasilisa Petrovna, Vasochka. <laughs> what did you just tell us? I was saying Vasilisa's name, but also as part of Russian culture, you get a nickname, and that's a term of endearment. And at the end of this, the author goes and explains the myths and how Russians relate to each other and the different kinds of names. It, it took a little minute to, to understand at first, uh-huh. but then when you started becoming one with the book, <laughs> it's a very wonderful experience. Now, whenever I pack, I'm going to go somewhere. I do a little minute of house sitting quietly to make sure my domo voy is happy. <laughs> the domo voy is a little is a little house spirit that's supposed to take care of your house, according to folklore. So learning about all that was just amazing. And it clearly stuck with you. And you stuck with it for the whole trilogy. Yes. Yes, I did. Do you have a favorite book in that series? It still is The Bear and the Nightingale because that's where it starts off. And I guess Uh maybe as a close second would be the last book in the series because she really comes into who she is and she's making her own path. There's discussion about women's roles during medieval Russia. The father would be deemed to find the young lady or, or his daughters a mate and a marriage would be arranged. And it was about alliances. The daughters were important at that point, but once you got married, you were, you know, part of your husband and your job was to bear children and, and take care. And Vasilisa did, she didn't want that. She had made a lot of comments about being stuck in her life, but she also has some magical gifts that really come into fruition and help her. So I just love her. <laughs> I just love her. And what did you choose to complete your favorites list? <laughs> My third book was The Sundown Motel. Simone St. James. Simone St. James. And that's the book that I have been pushing on. And book pushing will never stop being funny. And, and giggling about. So this is about a young girl who goes to find out what happened to her Aunt Viv. And she goes back to Fell, New York, because they think that her aunt passed on. So Carly's going to Fell to figure out what happened to her aunt. Carly believes her aunt has been killed and she wants to find out the reasonings behind that and try to solve this mystery. This has been a mystery within her family since she was little. Carly lost her mother to cancer and that changed her perspective on life. So finally, she felt like she needed to find an answer to this. And that brings her to fail working in the exact same hotel, the sundown as her aunt Viv. When she starts to work there, The hotel wakes up. Doors start opening and closing by themselves. She can smell cigarette smoke. She can hear somebody walking. And at first she thinks she's crazy until she runs into someone else that's been staying at the sundown. It's almost like you come up with these questions. Why did Carly go back? Okay, we know she went back to find Aunt Viv. What happened to her aunt? Why is she hearing these strange things in the hotel? Why is everything so just creepy in Fell? And after finishing that book, you know, Fell is the perfect name for that particular city because it pretty much fell off the map. They barely have cell communication. Everyone still uses the library. Everyone in the book is stuck in a certain way. The ghosts are stuck. The people she meets are stuck. 
then it has a little bit of commentary on because these girls have gone missing and it has a commentary on if well if you're pretty then you get more attention if you're missing but if you're not pretty or you've had maybe um a side relationship or something like that then you got what you deserved so the things that happen to these young ladies in fail they become this cautionary tale no one seems to want to find out you know what led up to them being attacked or killed they must have bought it on themselves that's what it is it just keeps going and going and every time the motel would wake up and the doors and stuff would start opening and things would happen and I would be in my room listening I'd be going <laughs> so chilly <laughs> but that sounds like a happy kind of yes 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 I could not stop listening to it and so that was my first foray into Simone St. James and that type of book which then opened the floodgates I did read uh, her other book the broken girls just as good and I pushed that one on my mm-hmm. friend Jennifer too I said we're gonna read this together <laughs> And so we would call each other or text and like, oh, it's so creepy, it's so creepy. And we would be having a good time. <laughs> is the creepy stuff usually your reading vibe or is this new? This is new because I've stayed away from horror, um, you know, blood, guts, gore, and things happening in your mind psychologically that will cause me to have to sleep with the lights on. And, you know, and I have two cats, so the horror people like to use cats as, as a warning of something bad coming. I didn't know they had this little part I don't know if it's a subgenre or something or subject matter where it's spooky, but not like horrifyingly scary. That did it for me. Mm. And the Sundown Motel, it has a dual timeline and a mystery and a little bit of spooky. Mm. Just right. <laughs> I'm, right I'm making notes. Dual timeline, mm-hmm. mystery, and a little bit of spooky. The time goes back to the 80s and then in 2017. So Carly's in 2017 and her aunt Viv is was in the 1980s. That was also a nice throwback to the 80s. And I was thinking about my acid wash jeans and all the things that go along with the 80s. Which are trendy again. Can you believe that? And how about mom jeans? Now mom jeans are fashionable again. Really? So us moms, we started the trend, but we were just a little bit too early. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I will just say. That going into the stores back when we went into the stores, I just, I could not believe what was for sale at what price points. I was the same way. Acid watch mom jeans. I mean, I just did not see that coming. Maybe that was a harbinger of things to come for 2020. (laughs) Maybe, maybe so. (laughs) Speaking of scary. (laughs) So I know you've liked mysteries because we've talked about Louise Penny. Ooh, and I want to say the cigarette smoke, that part freaked me out in this book, which I read because I don't think you meant to necessarily push this on me because we weren't having a conversation. We were talking on the internet. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what? I've had that book downloaded for a long time and I'm finally going to read it. And that's why I did. So, you know, put a little mark in your column, but oh, the cigarette smoke that creeped me out. The book that I read that where I had to sleep with the lights on and people, you know, every book is not for everybody. Of course we know that in college, we read all female authors and we read in the interview mm-hmm. with the vampire and no, I could not go into a room with the lights off for I haven't read that. Weeks. Okay, so what tipped that into horrifyingly scary? The book is about vampires and some of the things that the vampires had to do. And so that's what made it scary. Of course, they like the dark. So, of course, they're hiding in the dark. And then somebody comes in the room and, ah, there they are. And so <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I can't take it. I can I can distinctly remember having a flashlight with me inching around the corner to turn the light on in the room. No, 
when I was in the army, I tried to be all brave and watch Hellraiser. Couldn't sleep for two weeks. That is a long time to not sleep. Never again. Mm-mm. Lights were on. Couldn't do it. You know, when I see horror, I'm like, nah, I can't go back to that place. Okay. No vampire <laughs> books for you. No Hellraiser like anything. Duly noted. Please and thank you, no. <laughs> but I have a question for you, Anne. I'm ready. Have you watched Get Out yet? <gasps> no, but you know I want to. Yes. Uh, my youngest daughter, Victoria... She wanted to see it. It looked like it was going to be scary, but not maybe so. So, of course, because I'm the mom, I'm going to try to be all brave and go with her. And I'm sitting there in the seat with everything clenched. But it was so good. The concepts and the things that are happening in that movie are horrifying. But it's not like a lot of violence and chasing people and things like that. Yeah. But the, when you figure out what's really going on, that is horrifying. And so you're like, What? I can't believe it. And it's a lot of social commentary in there as well. Uh, my daughter, she's in college. She's like, I can just see this movie on so many different levels. I was like, look at you, college girl. <laughs> <laughs> but it was quite enjoyable. <laughs> well, okay. You could handle it. I could handle it. Yes. Okay. Because I yes. want to, but I'm kind of scared. But one of the reasons I want to hints at what you just said. Like I've heard lots of people say it's great, but also specifically my writer friends say, oh my gosh, like that movie takes you to plot school. Mm-hmm. I, I'm definitely intrigued by that. Well, my suggestion would be to pick a bright, sunny day when it was daylight <laughs> and earlier in the day, like just after lunch. So you have plenty of time to forget about it before bed. But I really don't think it will stay with you like that. That's my suggestion, though, because I do want to be sensitive to people who may be a little scared. But mm-hmm. I think I can do it. My 17-year-old watched it for film studies in school, which, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I thought, okay, if they are saying, hey, classroom full of teenagers, this is an assigned viewing, then he says I can handle it. You can. You can handle it. Okay. Valencia, we talked about the books you love. Now tell me about a book that did not work for you. So, Anne, the book that did not work for me was Girl on the Train. Everyone was so excited about it. I wanted to be a part of the movement. I'm not usually a bandwagon girl, but I do remember downloading this for Kindle after hearing Mm -hmm. about it, feeling like Mm -hmm. I just, I I had to. This was maybe five or six years ago? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I I wanted to be a part of what everyone was talking about. And then when I got finished reading the book, um, I was like, what? Why are people excited about this? (laughs) Um, I was like, because I kept waiting for something to happen. And just never did. And the main character and her struggles did not resonate with me because my life has been, you know, if something's going wrong in your life, you figure out a way to fix it. That character, she just kept doing the same things over and over again. Just I wanted to shake her and say, stop it. (laughs) Which you did not find to be a satisfying reading experience. It sounds like you found that to be irritating. Right. And then when you get to the end and you find out what's really happening, I still wasn't happy. I'm like, really? And you know, the uh, books that came out around that time, if a book has a blurb that says, if you like Girl on a Train or in the vein of, I won't even go anywhere near it. Isn't that awful? I won't go, mm-mm, because I don't want to, I don't want to relive that. Part of me wants to be like, but, but, but leave the door open, Valencia. And part of me wants to be like, yeah, you got to decide somehow. There's so many books to read. <laughs> I would be interested in reading her other books as well. That, that doesn't um, take me away from reading the author's work. As I've learned in book club, that just wasn't the book for me. Valencia, what have you been reading lately? Lately, I've been reading Mexican Gothic, which I am still on a book hangover from. Ooh, I mean, I'm sorry about that, but that's a great sign. And then I've been reading A House of Salt and Sorrow. 
mm-hmm. which is a little bit of a, a YA rift on the 12 Dancing Princesses. Well, for a book club, I read the Poet X, read and listened to the Poet X. Mm-hmm. So Mexican Gothic, um, when I saw Gothic, I was like, yes, October, fall and winter. Yes, give me all the Gothic because Rebecca was good. <laughs> but then when you figure out what's going on in Mexican Gothic, you're like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I just, mm, the setting, the house was a character in that book and the setting, the things that you're trying to figure out what is going on. And I love that feeling of when, I, when I'm reading, going, asking myself, what is happening? <laughs> what exactly is happening? I don't remember which major outlet ran this review, but it was someplace like Library Journal or Publishers Weekly that said, oh my, this book is delightfully bonkers. I thought, oh, that's a great way to describe that. Mm -hmm. Some of the, when you find out what's what's really been going on too, that I can see why they named it horror because to me, it's psychologically horrible. But not horrifyingly scary. No, no, it's not horrifyingly scary. There was one time when I was listening to it and I was getting ready to go to bed and it got a little creepy. And I said, you know what? I'm going to just pick this up tomorrow. Because I, <laughs> I don't need my walls to be doing anything weird while I'm sleeping. <laughs> and that's all I could think of. I was laughing at myself. I, I wouldn't want to deposit some of the things that happen in that book, which I also nearly didn't read because it's labeled gothic horror. Mm-hmm. The horror part mm-hmm. scared me. But I really enjoyed it. And yet, yeah, I don't want to have dreams about the walls moving. Okay. So Valencia, you loved... Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, The Bear and the Nightingale and the Whole Winter Night Trilogy by Catherine Arden, and Mm -hmm. The Sundown Motel by Simone St. James. Yes. The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins was not for you. Lately, Mexican Gothic, which has given you quite a book hangover by Sylvia (laughs) Moreno-Garcia, House Mm -hmm. of Salt and Sorrows by Aaron Craig, and The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. Okay, as we think about what you want to read next, what are you looking for right now in your, your reading life? What do you want more of? more books where I continue to learn things about other cultures. That was one of the things that I enjoyed about uh, Born a Crime and The Bear and the Nightingale. And then for the third book, The Sundown, you know, I'm always on the lookout for those types of books. And I'm not the best person and at keeping track of what I read. I get this thing where I finish a book and I have thoughts about it. And then I want somewhere to write them. And I end up with three or four notebooks with book stuff in it <laughs> all right uh-huh that is it, it's not just you okay <laughs> that's good but it's something like that comes with practice you know the book club has some great videos um classes on that and i revisit those every now and again i've gotten better at cataloging in goodreads but i want to do more what did ginger call it pithy book talk oh yeah <laughs> when they have you write the review i want to be able to speak on it i'm pretty good at selling the book of other people apparently <laughs> so is that the kind of stuff you'd like to capture somewhere whether it's a journal or goodreads or a, a spreadsheet something like that right and then when i start to realize what's really going on and any other themes that may may be happening within the book i just kind of like to keep a record of that um, how my reactions after i finish reading it like when we're talking about the sundown how fell is a perfect name because that city is just it's left in frozen. It's fell off the map. How they made those girls cautionary tales, but no one seemed to want to be interested in helping them. That's what I got from it. So those kinds of things 
just be more diligent about writing my reaction to books when I finish reading them. Okay. It's October. The end of the year is in sight. How do you feel about New Year's and fresh starts? Does that matter to you at all? Like from the point of making resolutions? Oh, resolutions is a big word. <laughs> because <laughs> I don't, It has I don't embedded really... in it that same fell idea. You can just fall right <laughs> off that. Um, I was just thinking that if you if you do like the idea of restarting, like now mm-hmm. could be a great time to kind of think and explore. And then you could start. There's nothing magical about January 1st. And yet I do know that we'll be talking about here on the podcast um, mm-hmm. on Modern Mrs. Darcy and in our Modern Mrs. Darcy book club about mm-hmm. these kinds of things as we do turn to the new year. I would love to see you find a system, though, not necessarily because everyone needs a system, although... Mm-hmm. Readers, I really do think you'll benefit by capturing someplace, just the title and author of everything you read. Maybe the dates. I think it will serve you well. I have at least done that, uh, title and author. I know that it's easy for me to tell myself stories about my reading life or not not discern patterns because uh, mm-hmm. I never remember everything I've read. Exactly. why I write it down. And then you exactly. can look back and see it. But since you've said, this is something I know I want in my reading life and I mm-hmm. want to find a way to make it happen, mm-hmm. then I want that for you. So you have four different notebooks. <laughs> yes. I wasn't trying to be funny <laughs> or mean for the record. Is, no, this, no, no. is this a stationary geek issue where you just love all the different notebooks? Is this not having the right notebook handy with you at the right time? You hit it right on the nail of the head. It's like, maybe this one will work. Well, I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. That is a real thing, too. (laughs) But um, as far as like New Year's, new start, in December, I like to assess what's happened, maybe revisit what's happened in the current year, and then think about some of the things that I want to do in the new year and just sort of of spread them out. Um, Everything doesn't have to be started in January. So you can say, by March, I want to do this thing. And and picking one thing to work on per month has helped. Of course, not this year, because it's all about survival. But (laughs) (laughs) Funny, because it's true. (laughs) Yeah. Every new month, to me, is a beginning. Yeah. You know? Well, in the uh, strong argument for not waiting until the new year to start is that I feel like that can put a lot of pressure on it. Like I'm starting a system now and it's got to be the way it's going to be. Not perfect necessarily, but I have a plan. And then as soon as we, you know, forget to write down the theme of a book or we, we lose the dates, the books end up out of order in the journal. Like, yes. Yes. Then we're like, well, forget that. That didn't work. The end. And I don't (laughs) want that to happen to you or to anybody else. Yes, and I will admit to being a perfectionist. So, but the most important thing is just start somewhere. Done is better than perfect. This is very true. This is very true. <laughs> what I would think about doing in the next month or two, tell me how this strikes you, is just start experimenting with writing things down. Like write down what you noticed about Fell and write down what you noticed about the characters. Maybe capture a favorite quote. This is not a checklist. These are ideas. Sure. Write about how the book struck you. Write about what you've been thinking about. And then as you do like to review the end of the month, the end of the year, look back in a few weeks or even a couple of months and say, mm-hmm. okay, what makes sense to me in hindsight? Like that I capture these in a way I can actually use. And what do I like? Keep doing that. Forget the rest. And we're going to be talking a lot about reading intentions for the new year coming up here on the podcast yes. and in yes. other places. I'm here for it. But I'm glad to know this is something that can be useful to readers. I mean, goodness <laughs> knows I need it in my own life. <laughs> but, well, you know, we're always saying when it comes to anything in the reading life, it's never just you. <laughs> it's been the most comfort to know that it's not just me. Okay. As far as actual book content, 
What are you on the lookout for right now? What would you be excited to discover? I guess I would say learning something or going somewhere new, um, seeing that place through the eyes of the author or the storyteller or the narrator. I'm going to always love mystery. So if you if some mystery in there is something I need to figure out, that's good too. Compelling story and maybe not one of an area that I've heard of before because Mexican Gothic, you don't hear about those types of things happening in Mexico. So that was that was cool to me. And of course, with the bear and the nightingale, oh my goodness, I just learned so much about medieval Russia and folklore and things. That was very cool. Okay. And I got a story on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> so the um, books that take you other places. So is travel content something that you enjoy? Yes. Some of the favorite books we've read in book club, uh, travel and food. Let me let me just be completely open and honest with you. <laughs> The stationery shop had me searching for Persian food in my area, okay? I love that. And I loved learning about Tehran in that time that did it. Uh, you know how we talked about not being alone? Oh my gosh, I hear you on the Persian food. So, <laughs> so much. All right, Valencia, I have ideas. So we are looking for books that can take you to other places, other time periods, other cultures. You love a good mystery. Spooky, but not horrifyingly scary is something that we're going for as well. Let's start with, oh, okay. First of all, there's so many good ones to choose from, especially when we start thinking about the mystery element, but something that's <laughs> unique to the Sundown Motel and the Bear and the Nightingale that isn't present in every story is that fairy tale, folkloric, ghosty kind of element. So instead of like a psychological thriller, like a woman disappears and what will she do next? Because that's totally a, a book you might enjoy. I'm going to be keeping an eye out for those elements. Okay. Let me first say, if you haven't read The Snow Child. I have not. Oh, it is also based on a Russian folktale. It is not the same one, I don't think. But this is a book by Eowyn Ivy. It's about 10 years old. And in Ivy's hands, it's the story of a couple who move from, I think, the New England area to mm -hmm. Alaska in 1920 to become homesteaders. And it is a hard place to be, especially because they desperately wanted to have children and that has never happened for them. And it has been so hard to scratch out an existence in this absolutely brutal, inhospitable landscape. But then one winter time, it might even have been Christmas Eve, or maybe I'm misremembering <laughs> that. But on one night, you know, these serious, staid, older homesteaders build a child out of snow. I mean, they make a snowman, except it's a snow child. And they put a scarf on it and they go to sleep. And the next morning they wake up and the snow child is gone. But there's this, there's this blonde child in the woods with a scarf. And they go, what just happened but they oh, wow. take her in and raise her as their daughter but mm -hmm. it's a fairy tale and that's not the end of the story but it's a heck of a premise yeah oh my goodness that sounds juicy <laughs> i think you may really enjoy this and what i like about it is it's not it's not the same as the baron and the nightingale that was a great story you don't need you know a, like a spin off of that but it's along the same veins but in a different author's hands it feels different but it still feels ooh i think it's got those elements that you may enjoy. Okay, sounds great. Okay, that was The Snow Child by A.O. and Ivy. Now, okay, this is different. Mm -hmm. So some people read 
Jennifer McMahon's books and they say that was everything I ever wanted. And some people read Jennifer McMahon's books and think, oh, juicy premise, but I don't know if that was for me. But because the premise is so good, mm -hmm. I want to make sure that these books are on your radar and we're going to go for it. Although if you think you like the sound of her generally creepy, psychologically intense stories that often have an <laughs> element of the supernatural, like that's what's drawing me to this, Ooh. see what looks good to you. But the one I have in mind is Don't Breathe a Word. This is mm. also about 10 years old. Google it. Look at the cover. It's a young girl's face mm -hmm. staring at the camera off the cover and her eyes are intense. This, oh, this is yeah. a good um, unsettling cover for this book. Another reason that I think this specific book could be a good one for you is because it's got a dual timeline, a mystery, and maybe more than a little bit of spooky. You're checking all of my boxes, Anne. I don't think this is horrifyingly scary. Based on what we've talked about, I really hope I'm not wrong. Okay, so years ago in Vermont, on a summer night, a 12-year-old girl said she was going to run off with the king of the fairies, and she did. She went into the woods behind the house. No one ever saw her again. That's the beginning of the story. She was going to become his queen and live happily ever after. This, of course, has been haunting her family for many years. Flash forward 15 years. Her little brother has grown up, is getting married. And all of a sudden, these spooky things start happening. Unexplained. At first, they think they might be coincidences, but there are these perhaps supernatural occurrences that are creeping them out and are really unsettling for the brother who has always thought the king of the fairies, come on, what really happened to my sister? <laughs> and then they find this book that apparently Lisa used uh, as a guide to disappearing and running away and starting her new magical fairy tale existence. Oh boy. Uh, some people find the ending frustrating. Mm -hmm. Some people think the premise is, I think mm -hmm. based on what you've enjoyed, a little bit of ambivalence might be okay with you. Yes. And I think the general world that this story is wading into could be checking your boxes. Don't breathe a word, Jennifer McMahon. I have not heard of that author or that book. So that's good. Happy to not push it upon you, but offer it to you. <laughs> How's okay, that? Anne. That is great. Okay. Next up, have you ever read anything by Kate Morton? No, I haven't. This is a gothic mystery. It again is seriously spooky in some places, but I would not say that it is scary. It is not horror, but it's got the sisters locked in the crumbling castle in the cold British rain kind of vibe. And this is another one with dual timelines and mystery. And it's eerie and unsettling, but there are no vampires in Kate Morton books. <laughs> she has a new one coming out in the summer that bet that better remain true. I would like to put that request out to the universe, but it's probably too late. So um, <laughs> it's a letter that kicks the story into gear and it incites a contemporary woman. The contemporary timeline here is set in the 1990s to visit Milderhurst Castle. That would be the crumbling castle in England, where there are three sisters who have lived alone, spinsters, they've lived there for a long time. And the connection mm -hmm. between the 90s and the past is that the woman who ends up being like 
the mystery unraveler. 50 years before, her mother lived in London during the Blitz and was sent to safety in the countryside, and she lived in this castle. There are two older sisters who are twins. They're the responsible ones. And for most of their lives, they've been responsible for tending to and caring for their youngest sister. And she Mm -hmm. was cruelly jilted way back in 1941, and it affected her deeply in every possible way. This contemporary woman gets to the castle and starts to uh, fill in the blanks on what she didn't know about her mother's history. And then she begins to realize as she investigates, there is more going on than she had suspected. And an important thing here is much of the mystery has to do with her favorite novel. It's called The True History of the Mud Man, but it's a famous children's storybook. She loved Mm -hmm. it dearly. It's totally a novel. It's completely made up. But she starts investigating the history of this book, The True History of the Mud Man, which involves, if I remember, a scary, muddy dude climbing the outside wall of the castle. Of course. Right. Of course. So it's it's totally made up. But then she starts to learn more about the history and thinks wait, hang on, there's more going on here. And she is going to find out what it is. And she's going to do it in a moody, gothic, unsettling, Mm -hmm. but not horrifying setting. How does that sound? Any book that has a mud man climbing up the side of a gothic house. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I never thought that would make me say that's music to my ears, but it absolutely is. I'm here for that. (laughs) Okay, that was The Distant Hours by Kate Morton. So we, we did the spooky, but now I really want to take you around the world a little bit and also sure. to a different timeline. For better or worse, this one does not go back and forth. Can we try it anyway? You can try it anyway, yes. Okay. This is actually a newer release. It just came out September 1st. It's a debut from Asha Lemmy. It's called 50 Words for Rain. Is this a book that you're familiar with yet? Oh my goodness, Anne. What, what, what? I am familiar with it. Yes, I have it on hold at the library. I had heard uh, Fiona Davis talk about that book um, when she was talking about her book, Lions of um, New York. And I heard her mention it. I, I wrote it down. My local bookmarks had a authors and she was one of the authors um, that we did a little bit of a pre-read about that book so yes that makes me so happy it's very different because I think she is African-American and she ends up in Korea I think but that whole premise is something I haven't experienced before so yes well and it's something that I was also thinking of when you were talking about Trevor Noah's book which is obviously like that's a memoir that's his story that was more contemporary in South Africa and this is set in Kyoto in 1948 let me tell you a little bit about it when the book opens there's an eight-year-old girl her name is Noriko but everybody calls her Nori she is standing on the street with her mother with a suitcase And her mom gives her a note and she says, go knock on the door. This is your grandparents' house. I know you've never met them. Give them the note. I'm going to leave now. You're going to live with them. So that's how the story opens. An eight-year-old girl (laughs) introducing herself to her grandparents. What you slowly begin to realize, though not that slowly, I wouldn't say we're in spoiler territory, Mm -hmm. is that this girl is unknown to her grandparents because her mother was shunned. And that's because though she was the child of a Japanese aristocrat, I mean, very wealthy, influential, ruling family in post-World War II Japan, her mother left her husband and had an affair with an African-American GI. And so Nori is a bastard child, which is absolutely the phrase they use. Mm -hmm. And she's also 
they always refer to her hair, how her hair doesn't lay smooth, like a true Japanese child would. Right, right. So they're always referring to her hair, but also her skin is dark. Like at the beginning of the book, her grandmother saying, I just, I ordered another treatment. I ordered another treatment. They're trying to lighten her skin. Lighten her skin. And at first I thought, oh, this is like, they want her to look more like them. And it is not okay on Mm -hmm. several levels with Mm -hmm. her really oppressive grandparents who are terrible to her. They basically lock her in the attic for a couple of years and everything changes when her half brother comes to live with her because Hmm. he's the legitimate child. He can do whatever he wants. And Nori really takes to him and starts following around everywhere. They call her the puppy or the shadow. When he starts saying like, hey, get my sister some ice cream. Everybody listens. But what this story does from 1948, when Nori is eight, to her adulthood 20 years later, is show her devastating, twisty, constantly surprising, seriously head-shaking. What were we saying about delightfully bonkers from Mexican Gothic? This is just bonkers. There's no delightful about it, unless you want a really absorbing reading experience. That part might be delightful. But for Nori, nothing is delightful except that ice cream, and that doesn't last. But it's this really interesting family saga set in a place and time that I think may be delightfully new to you and also have those cultural elements like introduce you to, to a new way of being in a new place and time. So when Fiona Davis started talking about it, were there other elements that made you think, oh yeah, that book's for me? When she was mentioning the location and the sister, um, how she is biracial, that piqued my attention as well. When I, when you see the title, 50 Words for Rain, when I read that book, I want to understand why the author named the book 50 Words for Rain. Like I'm going to be looking for that entire time I'm reading. Yes, I was like, okay, I'm writing that down. <laughs> It is a good title. And it is in the text. You will find it there. Yes. Okay. You mentioned that maybe some YA novels would be fun. Mm-hmm. So can I just pile on? Of course you can. Okay. Well, there's two completely different ones I'm thinking of. Who says of. no to Anne Bowl? Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that it was your job, so maybe it's not as fascinating and riveting, but you talked about repelling out of helicopters. And mm-hmm. you mentioned that you were interested in reading YA. And so I was thinking about YA historicals like Fly Girl by Sherry L. Smith. This is about a young woman. Her father was a pilot. She's always wanted to be a pilot. She's not allowed to be a pilot because she's black, but she is light enough to pass and she decides to do it so that she can fulfill her dream. This is a YA novel, but so many adults have read and loved this. And I wanted to make sure it was on your radar. This is also, we're just camping out squarely in the like 2010, give or take a year timeline for these recommendations with the exception of that new one. It's short-ish. It's less than 300 pages. And Mm -hmm. It's about a young girl doing hard things, really interesting. So many people have no idea what the rules and requirements were for young people then, for what Mm -hmm. you could and couldn't do because you were a woman and what you couldn't do because of your race. This book gently but firmly addresses all of that. Fly Girl, Sherry Smith. That sounds great. And then it really stuck with me, Valencia, that you said that you had a travel goal to go to Valencia, Spain. Yes. Tell me about that. My father told me how he named me, one of my name to Valencia when he was happened to be flying over. I have wanted to go there because it's my namesake. It's just been something that I've wanted to experience. It's like the ultimate bucket list thing for me. Go to Spain and, and eat the food and see the beautiful land, the countryside. They have a museum of arts and sciences. And to see a, a flamenco performance, wonderful. 
So I just continually, uh, even through these uh, COVID times, I continually am finding little travel videos and information about Spain. And I just want to experience what this. I have never been overseas. So that's one thing that I would really love to do and just absorb the culture and, and understand the history and those kinds of things. Well, I hope it's good to have something to look forward to. Yes. The book I have in mind, it is not set in Valencia. There are novels set in Valencia, but I don't know a lot about them. Like um, Mm -hmm. there's a novel called A Death in Valencia, and that's by Jason Webster. And then I think The Perfume Garden is set in Valencia. That's by Kate Lord Brown. But the one I'm thinking of is a YA historical Mm -hmm. novel. It has two timelines, but it doesn't alternate back and forth. This is called The Fountains of Silence. It's by Ruta Sepetis, a well-known YA historical fiction writer. This one is set in Madrid, not in Valencia. They don't really travel outside the city much, but it is set in Spain in 1957 um, while the fascist dictator Franco is in charge. That's the backdrop against which this story happens. But the main characters are two teenagers. There's an 18 year old visiting from Texas. His name is Daniel. He's the son of an oil tycoon. He has a big belt buckle and cowboy boots and he's a photographer. So he loves to sneak around the city. Well, not sneak. He loves to travel around the city taking photographs Mm -hmm. through those photographs. And also because she's in the hotel working, he meets Anna, a young girl um, who he hits it off with right away. Although that causes kind of problems because though her family was once influential, um, they had the wrong politics to keep that influence because of the civil war and because of Franco. But I think the, the plot itself is, um, really well done. Lots of, lots of enjoyment there for the reader, but just the setting and the culture and the details I think could be really, could be really fun for you. That sounds like something I'd be willing to try. Oh, and you know what? You love audiobooks. Something I really liked about this on audio is that there's um, oral history commentary. You know, I never looked up if they're authentic, but there are authentic sounding media broadcasts from the era embedded in the audiobook, just giving you context for this story. And I really enjoyed that detail. That is so cool. Yes, I get to travel somewhere and I'd learn. Some- oh, yes, yes. Tick, tick, tick. I'm glad to hear it. That was The Fountains of Silence by Rita Sepetis. All right, Valencia, I snuck in a few extras on you today, but we talked about The Snow Child by Awen Ivy briefly, Don't Breathe a Word by Jennifer McMahon, The Distant Hours by Kate Morton, also Fly Girl by Sherry Smith, and The Fountains of Silence by Rita Sepetis, and 50 Words for Rain by Asha Lemmy. Now, circumstances being what they are, I may have an idea thanks to your library, but of those books, what do you think you'll pick up next? Oh, boy. I am going to go for 50 Words for Rain. I'm excited to hear it. Yes. And yes. I can't wait to hear what you think. I have the other ones written down, so I'm set. <laughs> I mean, it is the time of year for spooky reads, so. Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, yes. got to oh, gotta yes. get it while the spooky is. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but a close second would be The Snow Child. It does sound right up your alley. And I hope you enjoy them all. Valencia, thank you so much for talking books with me today. Thank you, Anne. This has been fun. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Valencia and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 255 and it's where you will find the full list of titles we talked about today. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We will see you next week.
What Should I Read Next is a listener-supported show. To support the show in a tangible way, join our member community at patreon.com slash what should I read next. Another tangible way to support the show is to pick up a copy of my new book, Don't Overthink It, or my essay collection about the reading life called I'd Rather Be Reading. We always love it when you spread the book love by reviewing our podcast on Apple Podcasts or telling a friend about What Should I Read Next. We send out a free Tuesday newsletter with three things I love, one thing I don't, and what I'm reading now. Go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter to sign up. Thanks to the people who make this show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. <laughs>